Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. My guest today on In a Mississippi Minute, well, is royalty. I absolutely love and admire this man. He is an icon in our little universe of music as he has worked with so many of the greats. He literally helped shape music back in the heyday. Still gets a kick out of hanging out behind a radio mic, and he is bona fide. Punches his well-deserved ticket in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He also is very well known for being with John Lennon, conducting a four-hour interview the day Lennon was shot and killed outside his home. And certainly I can't forget the tireless work with our label Ride Records and myself for many years. He has been by my side. It's always moving and an honor to talk to the Duke, Dave Sholin. Hey, buddy. How you doing? My, after that, after that, I'm ready to take a ride after hearing that introduction. <laughs> wow. Man, we, we've taken a few, haven't we, Steve? You and I have taken some rides with our buddy H. Bud Nelson, uh, who eventually I want to interview as well. Uh, we have taken some rides that people do not need to know uh, what type uh, of vehicle we were in. <laughs> Ooh, man, I was starting to sweat there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, woo. We're talking rock and roll royalty, and I, I've been, uh, been, been remarkable to get to know him. I want to go back in the days now. I, wanna, I want you to tell me, as a young kid growing up, uh, radio came calling. I want to know when you knew it. I want to know your influences and role models and eventual mentors. So if you can sort of take us back in, in the growing up years. You know, if you really go back to uh, grammar school, Steve, you know, I, I was one of those freaky kids that just loved radio, loved, and music was, was what drew me in. So I would actually spend time uh, even listening, listening to radio and trying to identify what I thought was going to be, uh, you know, the, the, next, the next hit. I just love doing that. It's I was kind of crazy. I had a buddy of mine in in high school, and he built his own little radio station in a in a garage in his house. We would leave. You, you'll love this story. We would leave school, and he would send out surveys to record labels at that time, and he would get record service. <laughs> Come on, labels were. We're sending him music. KTEN was was what he called the station. <laughs> K10, and he sent out sent out the weekly list. So we'd go home uh, after school to his house, 
and there, there'd be packages. We'd open them up, and in other days, of course, of uh, you know, forty fives and albums. Most of them were most of them were singles in the albums, and we'd hear you know whatever and uh, go through the list. It was you know, and then we'd go down to I was I was living out a little outside of San Francisco, so I think we were were we driving at that point. I don't think we had even had cars. We'd just get a bus and go into San Francisco, and a couple of radio stations who would see us and give us uh, you know give us singles, and we'd take those home. So we were like little. Little program, little program music directors just doing this because we loved it. My dad put together a little uh, make-believe. You know, I had a little amp and a little uh, board to work with, and I would do my little uh, radio shows in my bedroom, <laughs> and that's pretty common. There's a lot of people in radio that have done that early on. You follow your passion. I've always you know, said, I mean, to find something you love doing and actually turn that into a career, it almost feels like, you know, you're working, but you're really not working. Right. Uh, and it's really rare. It's really rare. Not many uh, people, I never take it for granted. I'm very grateful. No, no, and even, so. w- here's what I think about that as well. When you do something you're very passionate about, and you get better at it, you got to work really hard at it, because you're, you're, the competition's big, and I think that if you can work, plenty of talented people that hadn't gotten it done, but people that are passionate about what they do, uh, I just feel like that during the rough years and the rough times, you can survive it because you love it so much. It's like this unconditional love um, that you have, and I think that that's what gets you through the tough times and back in the saddle. You know, I've always felt that way. Very I, true. Yeah. So keep going. So it's you're very, back. So, it's, very, it's very true. But uh, one little side note on this. This is pretty funny. That my 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 buddy who was uh, sending out these surveys, there was one day I guess we were at we were in school, and one of the label people actually came to his house, Come and on. his mother answers the phone, <laughs> answers answers the door rather, right? She answers the door, and uh, they say, "Is Ray here?" Uh, no, he's at school. What? <laughs> and so they got the whole picture of what was going on, and, and the guy leaves and says. Well, uh, here, here's a message for him. Tell him uh, we'll still send the 45s. We're just not going to send the vinyl, the big records. <laughs> <laughs> he was still getting service. Oh yeah, so, oh yeah. Well, back back in the day when somebody like that came to my house, they were looking. My mom and dad were wondering what I did wrong. Uh, uh, on a bigger note, <laughs> that's so funny. So okay, so that is so crazy. And um, I was about to ask, you know, vinyls made this big comeback, and we'll talk about that later because I want to talk to you about the state of the business. Uh, you know, further down the line of our our, our interview, but uh, sure. But uh, the, I was thinking, you know, if you still had all that vinyl, th- what it would be worth? Because you're talking, are we talking late sixties? Uh, yeah, well, talking. Well, I, I guess mid, early. You know, uh, mid, probably mid. Yeah, mid to late, late sixties. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. such great music being made back then. There was some amazing, you know, and it was all so different. When you, that, that's one of the things, uh, you know, especially in the, in the pop world. Uh, you know, there were so many different sounds that you would hear, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin next to uh, Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, it could right. be anything. It was well, crazy. Well, it was, it, as long as it was, it was as long as it was great. Yeah, the the format, the box that it lived in was sort of like there was no ed, there was no lines. It was just like good, it, right. it was great, yeah, it including fit. country, right. including country. Right. Hits. I mean, a bunch of those. So, so who was your mentors growing up? So, a, as you've made your way, okay. So, take we're talking to Dave the Duke Sholin. He is in parts unknown California, Northern California, right now. 
and um, he is uh, he has worked with me many years, and I've been blessed to have him uh, do that and be a, call him a friend, uh, Dave. So, mentor wise, you're growing up. You you get to high school. You go. Do you go to college or do you go straight into radio? No, no. I, I spent uh, I spent a couple of years uh, in in school. I I graduated from San Francisco State College, which uh, now it's now it's San Francisco State University. But they have uh, that broadcast school is one of the the places in the country, and they have turned out there are so many people, uh, not only in in radio in the San Francisco Bay Area, but all over. But a lot of people out of uh, out of that school have gone on to a pretty big things. Radio and TV it was it's it's still well you know well regarded as one of the the top schools. They've always been like that. We had a lot of people, a lot of our professors. In fact, one of somebody I became very close with. He's uh, sadly passed away. And Paul Court, Cortland Smith was his name. He worked on on shows like Shindig and you know back in back in the day. Uh, so he came out of uh, you know Hollywood, and mm-hmm. he, he knew what he was doing. He came to produ- radio production. So we had we had really skilled people, a lot of uh, general managers <clears throat> from some stations that were also professors there. So they get the top notch people. And turns I was really lucky to be there. So spent a couple of years in junior college, and then transferred over to San Francisco State and graduated there. Okay, so you're you're graduating college, and these guys as as mentors, you know, the one thing that uh, I always think about is, do they help continue uh, beyond the the education point? I know they're teachers. Uh, at that point, and you, you're getting out. Are you on your own at that point? Do you have the support? Are they making calls for you back then, or are you just you're at the wild frontier at this point? Yeah, pretty much wild frontier. Although I will say there were several professors, certainly Paul, one, and that it definitely gave me uh, gave me some some direction, uh, as well did some of the you know some of the radio uh, people. One of the one of the great uh, programmers of all time, uh, somebody named Tom Donahue, who started Progressive Album Radio, rock radio, back. Uh, in those days, but he came out of you know came out of top forty uh, in San Francisco, uh, first from the East Coast, and then came out to San Francisco. So I was lucky enough to spend a little time with uh, with Tom, with uh, some of the some of the people that took me under their wing and, and were nice enough to to give me some some clues about what what to look for, what not to do. But pretty much, you're on your own. You just you know it's definitely on the job training when right. you're you right. Know, you just throw thrown to it, and uh, here it is. And I was lucky enough to uh, find my first job, you know, not far from where I uh, where I grew up, is in San Jose. Well, you were well trained for it. We are talking to Dave the Duke Sholin. You are in a Mississippi minute. I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Steve Azar on Facebook.com Steve Azar Live and listen to all my music, Steve Azar and Steve Azar and the King's Men, wherever you download or stream. Easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I get the ball. 
of the game. Everybody, I'm Steve Azar. Hey, 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 hey. With Dave the Duke Sholin, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, uh, dear friend. Uh, Dave's been talking about uh, growing up, his love affair for radio. And now I want to take, uh, Dave, I want you to take us to your first big break. Your, uh, you've had all this uh, training back at the house growing up as a kid. <laughs> I just love that story. Yeah, I yeah. love it. So <laughs> now, you know, you, you have been groomed to become great. Where was it? When was it? You get your first job. You're doing grunt work. You're doing whatever it takes, uh, probably pushing coffee and all that. Where was your first big job uh, on the air? Luckily, uh, I didn't have to do uh, do a lot of that, uh, the, the broom pushing and all that crazy stuff. Uh, I got very, very lucky. Uh, as soon as I got out of school, there was a, an opening for a, a weekend position uh, not far from where I grew up. is in San Jose. And, and here's a, a little sidebar, Steve. The owner of that station is still there. Come on. He just had, we, in fact, I went to his birthday party a year and a half, not this past December, December of uh, 2016. He had turned 95. Wow. He is there. Uh, he owns the uh, the country station. Uh, now he has, the station that I started at is still is there. It's an AM station, but it uh, does classic country. But his big station is his uh, country FM. And he had another station before that that we helped put on the air. So his name is Bob Keith, and he is an amazing. His story is one <laughs> that is beyond belief because he's someone that worked for uh, in the Eisenhower Nixon administration. He got into radio at the beginning of Top Forty, and he has his own story. But he was a big, big help and a big supporter, and uh, one of my one of my real mentors in this business. And I still connect with him. And I love it. That's how I got my first first position they were interviewing i guess they were trying different people out for this position uh mm-hmm. kliv was the station in san jose and they were a big powerhouse top 40 at that time especially in that in that area the south bay uh, in, in, out of san francisco i got a, i got a chance to uh, get on the air i auditioned and he called me back and said you're the guy Come on in, and uh, from there, uh, a lot of the people that, that I worked with at that time, um, Scott St. James, who is uh, mm-hmm. now in L.A., uh, my friend John Betancourt, sadly, and he passed away about a year ago, and he, mm-hmm. he was another another big supporter. And You know, the staff, uh, everybody there was, was really a big help. And uh, I ended up uh, going from the weekend position that did nights for a little, a little, little while. But uh, most of my time there was the afternoon position. But the big, but the big moment is when uh, Bob, the owner, called me in and said, "We want you to be the music director." Music director had left, and that was it. That's you were point. a music that director was... when you were in junior high, so that was fitting. I mean, you had already primed <laughs> that pump. So. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, and uh, the artists that came through. I mean, uh, how about this one? Uh, I, I knew some people who were involved in this record label at the time. It was MGM Records. There's a teen superstar every couple of years. You know that mm-hmm. from Instinct, the New Kids on the Block, to right. whoever it is. You know, David Cassidy back in the day. You got the Osmonds, right. Jackson, Michael, everybody, right? Well, Donnie was Donnie Osmond was was. You know, I had a bunch of hits. It was he was turning sixteen, Steve, <laughs> and we. I was able to uh, have him call in on his birthday. Wow! 
and our, our phone lines, uh, the receptionist, who is an elderly lady named Elsie, <clears throat> she was like losing her mind because we kept teasing the fact that he was going to be calling in and, you know, kids were calling, driving her crazy. She kept running in, come on, yeah. I can't take these calls anymore. Please stop. <laughs> Said, Do this interview. Radio. We want people listening. That's the <laughs> <Yeah>. idea. <laughs> we want them to drive you crazy. Should so have sent them to a, a number that didn't. Too. I didn't know you guys even answered the phone. I mean, I grew up growing, growing up, caught trying to make a. I grew up. Let me spit this out. I grew up making calls trying to request songs, and I never got an answer. It was like, come on, man, you guys, you guys are you are you? You know, I loved it. You just guys just let the phone ring. Okay, so Donnie Osmond's oh, calling wow. in, right? Yeah, no. Sometimes it's tough because you're 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 juggling and you're you know like spinning plates doing a million different things. So the phone is uh, today is a little bit different because there's so many different ways, which is a good thing. I mean, to be able to you know text and send out tweets and get Facebook messages, you have more ways to communicate. But at that point, it was uh, a phone or nothing. Right? Or you showed up? You showed up at the doorstep. Uh, okay, let's t- talk about the. Do you eat a lot of donuts, or you weren't a donut guy? You know, radio and donuts. I, you know, police officers uh, and donuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I was. I, I'd say a donut guy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I was definitely a donut guy, but unfortunately, at that time too, I was. Uh, I, I was a smoker. No longer. Yeah, that yeah. Was well, years ago, I stopped that a long time ago. But, but that time it was like coffee, cigarette on the air. Right, you were just rolling. You were rolling. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing the weekend job. You're the music director now. Do you hire yourself to take over mornings? And let's talk about, besides that, you fire, you, I'm just wondering, do you fire the, the morning guy because you want it? No. <laughs> anyway, but you're the music director. You're choosing music. But as a jock back then, did you flip a record over and play the B-side? Were you one of those guys that were, like you, you were as a younger kid, trying to, you already had prepared yourself to find music that was up and coming so did absolutely. you absolutely yeah we, I, you were able to do it right you yep yep i was able to do it now one of the things about this station that gave it uh that made it a little more prominent especially in the in the music world in the uh, record community mm-hmm. was the fact that uh, the signal didn't quite get into san francisco but it definitely affected a good part of uh, the listening audience that the San Francisco stations were trying to reach. And uh, this was before the days of Silicon Valley. Now it's a whole whole different world. But it was still a significant uh, population around San Jose and Santa Clara County. So the stations in San Francisco would definitely watch what uh, the station was, what we were doing. So certain certain songs could break there and then san francisco would grab them so we were kind of like the theater station almost to uh, to what san francisco was doing and one of my mentors who <clears throat> became the head of programming at uh, at rko radio only state where i ended up working at one point we'll get to that but <clears throat> paul drew was the uh, program director in san francisco at kfrc and one of the things he did was really look at what we were doing in San Jose. So with the labels knowing that, they were, you know, we, we, got, a, we got a lot of uh, a lot of pressure 
from a lot of a lot of companies, and and I was open to uh, playing things that were I, I felt were the right ones for what we were doing. Which is uh, gone. Which is gone. you could get initial response from listeners, right? You would go uh, if you would pick the phone up, or your or your receptionist <laughs> would pick the phone up. No, but back then you were there was this direct line between you as a jock and your listeners. That was valuable Absolutely. information for you to know who they were responding to. And when you knew that you loved it and you knew they loved it, it was the perfect storm, right? Exactly. Exactly. And when when you get the special ones and they light up they light up everything and and one of those <clears throat> I'm I'm sitting in the uh, station one night going through a bunch of new new releases and I hear a song by Don McLean, American Pie. <laughs> and I'm listening to this thing going, "Wow." Uh, I was actually off the air. I was working three to seven at that time, and our our night jock Bob Ray uh, was was on. So I just walked in. <clears throat> I said, "I don't know what you're playing next, but this is it. Take whatever it is. <clears throat> excuse me. Take whatever it is off the air uh, and put this on next." <laughs> and that's what he did. All eight <clears throat> minutes or nine? How long? That's a long song, right? Yeah, seven, well, eight. We did play it off the album and. The phone, the phones never stopped after that. It was, it was crazy. Wow, uh, that was like an immediate. You, you just knew this was the number one song. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just wild. Well, I'll tell you what, that's amazing. We're talking to Dave the Duke Sholin, uh, dear friend of mine, uh, rock and roll uh, legend in in the radio business and beyond. Our next segment, I want to get into the whole John Lennon thing. So, listeners out there, understand that there was. Uh, the last interview conducted uh, with John Lennon was was by Dave and, and my guest today, and it was an amazing day. And he and he flies off to San Francisco because we didn't have phones back then, right? We didn't even have brick phones, you know, that you could that you'd know. And he he nope. lands in San Francisco nope. after this interview in New York and finds out that he's passed away. Uh, you are in a Mississippi minute. Before we go uh, to break, Dave, being, Mississippi being the birthplace of American music, although. You did have a lot to do with further uh, moving the history in a positive direction. I want you to play DJ like you do so well. And tell me, do you want to hear a little Muddy Waters or Charlie Pride? Man, you're making it tough on me. Yeah. I have to go with Muddy, although it's a, it's a tough call. Yeah, well, it's always a tough call because this yeah. is how we roll down here in Mississippi. You are in a Mississippi minute, all 60 it. of them. I'm with the great Dave Sholin, and I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, I'm Steve Azar. You're in the backside of a another in a Mississippi minute. It takes us all 60 of them to get through a uh, any sort of conversation down here. And Dave's gotten used to me and all the wind that comes out of my crazy mouth. Uh, we were with Dave Sholin, and I want to dig now into that day. I know you've been asked so many times, 
But you're with John Lennon and Annie Leibovitz, right? Annie's shooting shooting the the conversation. She's a great photographer, and you're in there conducting this interview with the great John Lennon the day he gets shot and killed. Well, uh, the just to just to clarify, <clears throat> the Annie Leibovitz, uh, she was there in the morning. I never even I never even saw her. Okay, because it was it was a separate. Uh, the, she did the photo shoot uh, in the morning. With John gotcha. Yoko. Gotcha. So we were being, uh, and I say we because I had a production team of my producer, Rod Hummel, and, and uh, Lori Kay, who wrote the script <clears throat> for the eventual special that came out. And so we're, we're there, and, and I also had, a, had somebody from the record label, Bert Keen, one of my close buddies, who was at uh, Warner Brothers at the time. And Warner Brothers was the distributor for Geffen Records. And Geffen had just uh, signed... Uh, John Lennon, because uh, David Geffen was out of the record business for a while. He had a health scare and turned out to be false. And uh, so he left the record business and relaunched Geffen Records, signing Mm -hmm. uh, three artists, uh, Donna Summer, Elton John, and John Lennon. So this was, he was basically a new label, but he was distributed through through Warner Brothers. So that's just a little sidebar. In In any case, Annie did her uh, her photo shoot in the morning. We showed up at the Dakota, where John and Yoko lived at their apartment. They had an office complex, and they had an apartment where they lived, and their young son, Sean, who was five at the time, was upstairs. But we never we never got to that. We were, we were in their, uh, their living quarters uh, in a special, special room to do this interview. So we had set it up, got there around, you know, 1230, uh, and it's a, if anybody who has been to Dakota knows, <clears throat> if you haven't, it's uh, kind of a, an amazing classic building in New York City. Uh, and you drive you drive up to it, and it's kind of like breathtaking, right off Central Park. Right. So uh, we get there about to twelve thirty, set up our gear, and uh, in this beautiful room where you take your shoes off. Uh, it's a Japanese custom right. in Yoko that you take your shoes off, which is really, it makes it real comfy. You're in this, you know, the the rug was just one of those things you sink into, and a ceiling had celestial clouds painted painted up there. It was really something. So we waited. Uh, Yoko showed up first, and uh, John, I guess no one had told him that uh, the interview had begun. No. <laughs> so we talked with Yoko for about 15, 20 minutes. It was great. And uh, then he came, uh, you know, jumping into the room. That's one of those memories that I have, that he opened up the door, kind of took a leap up in the air, and then kind of like, here I am, folks, moved his arms, extended his, his arms, and jumped into the room. And within a, just a matter of, I don't know, five, ten minutes, he just made you feel like he was somebody that you, you hung out with in school. You know, what are, you, what are your buddies? Just very easy to talk to and had a lot to say. So uh, we we covered a lot of ground over, well, close to four hours and covered all kinds of things. Not not only not only music, but uh, his views on life and fatherhood certainly is, uh, you know, as a second time around thing. He had his, his older son, Julian, right. at a much younger age. And then he kind of looked at, you know, just and he wanted to talk to people of his generation at that time. So he had just turned forty. John was born in nineteen forty, and this was nineteen eighty. So, uh, and the, and the, he and Sean have the same birthday. October wow, I 9th. didn't know that. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, they're, they're born on the same day. Hmm. So Sean was five. John had just turned 40 and wanted to talk to uh, the people of, uh, you know, the people that grew up through the, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and everything they've gone through and all the different changes. So that was a lot of what he, he wanted to uh, get across in this interview and talk about, you know, the, the Beatles in that era came up in conversation. It's, almost, it's impossible not to. But the focus of this interview was really the new album, Double Fantasy, and the changes he had gone through and uh, his relationship with Yoko. And you could tell just sitting there, these two had something, it was something special, just the way they'd look at each right. other. You know, the, that was, the, we didn't have video then, but it was, uh, we had the audio captured, so. Yeah, they, it seemed like they had an, um, uh, a tight relationship. And also, you just mentioned, you know, kids, he was at that point. You know, I think that having a kid, having a child, a child changes you, but having kids, that defines you. That's when you have to focus. Mm -hmm. And that's when you look at your life uh, through their eyes. And when there's more than one, I think, <laughs> you know, because you're seeing you're like you're seeing like different songs that are being written, but they're in the form of, of these beautiful human beings that have been created that live with you <laughs> and they're developing. And yeah. man, your focus yep. becomes just so. It just becomes so clear, you know, um, how hard you have to work, how hard you're willing to work, how good you got to get. Uh, and obviously he was probably at that point of uh, and then not knowing what his next hours were going to bring. Obviously, you land. So you land in San Francisco, right? Is that where you headed back to? You were heading back home, right? Cross country. Yeah, oh. no, I, I actually left the day before, which oddly enough, see, was December 7th. <laughs> One of those, what I love, it was a Sunday of all things, and this interview was the following day, Monday, uh, De December eighth. And but I will say this is one thing I do. Uh, we have to remember the context here because John had been out of the the business for five years. He, he really had dropped out of. I mean, he listened to a lot of radio and was in New York, and you know, was is still connected. But as far as day-to-day -day and doing that, he was staying at home. He was a house husband, and he wanted to focus in on being with Sean, and that's what, they, that's what he did. Right. Yoko handled some of the business, but he wasn't writing music. He wasn't doing anything. So it was almost like five years of a sabbatical and coming out of retirement. Here's, here's his first single, uh, appropriately titled Starting Over. Hmm. Well, you think about Bob Dylan was the same way, right? He sort of took a hiatus. I don't know if it was Connecticut or whatever. He sort of went away, got, you know, had kids. And uh, if I'm, uh, you know, I think that yeah. any any artist that has to continue. Okay, you're not like back then. You're not like you're not like a machine that's going like, what's your next? Here comes another one. Here comes another one. You got people writing for you. You got people, you know, doing all this for you, playing all the instruments for you. It's a different deal. It's not like you're in a factory. Yeah. You're talking about no. creating one of a kind uh, play. You know, you're trying. You're documenting your life, and some life has to happen before you document it. So, and and as yeah. a songwriter, yeah. life has to happen, and it has to be ready to write, and it has to write itself. And I always say that, and people look at me like I'm crazy, but really, the songs that uh, that you're sort of out of your mind, and they just fall out. Um, there's some tweaking and things you need to do as a professional, but at the end of the day, 85% of it needs to roll off the tongue like it's uh, in your subconscious. And I think that... Absolutely. 
absolutely. Right. Ab- yeah, that, that is for sure. And, you know, and, and this was a love, these, these songs, uh, many of them were love, love songs between John and Yoko, certainly with Sean, the song Beautiful Boy, uh, which was in Dr. Holland's opus, one of the, one of the key songs that mm-hmm. was, so these were a lot of very personal songs. And Starting Over was the first song that I heard in the summer before this album was ever out. Uh, I was called to a David Geffen's office, and he was one that helped set this interview up. And he uh, played me Starting Over without, I had no clue who this was. I didn't know John Lennon was even back uh, doing music, <clears throat> but he played it for me. <laughs> and immediately I'm hearing Elvis in this in this song if you listen to starting over where he's doing you know a lot of that yeah yeah which and elvis was really one of i would say if there was one spark for me as as a kid and it's elvis presley who really got me and it's still you know he is my he's number one on my list i was actually able to it was actually in tupelo i was able to able to go there uh, there you my, go. Uh, wife, yeah, we we took a trip to a Tupelo about a year and a half ago. Was able to go to the cabin and all of that. So, uh, but Elvis was a big part, and Elvis was you know certainly a big inspiration to John. Uh, you know, his famous quote was, uh, "Before Elvis, there was nothing." Oh wow! You know, you know, you, you think about that, and this is why you know. There's another Mississippi artist, obviously a teen, a teen idol. You were talking, we were talking other uh, teen idols growing up, and you're starting to play Elvis Presley. But you're right, he he influenced so many, and um, and amazing. And, yeah, oh yeah, and even Jim Peterick said Elvis was his guy. So it's so funny. You're on the radio side of things. He's an artist. You got John Lennon and the influence of this Mississippi kid had on so many. And I crack up oh. because my mom would say, oh, he'd come, he played our high school. But, you know, I wasn't really that huge of an Elvis fan. I was more into whatever, and I'm going like, I love it, because the world was so enamored by him. <laughs> and my mom was going, well, he was just a regular guy because he's a regular guy from Mississippi. Well, we're with the great Dave, the Duke Sholin. You are in a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. Till I baby, I'll be home. Easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. everybody hey 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 i'm steve azar you are in a mississippi minute we are with the great dave the duke sholin we've been talking about john lennon i jumped in and veered a little bit but it was uh it was in the name of mississippi and and the way i roll <laughs> so continue on about the, uh, the lennon so so we had this incredible afternoon talking about everything uh known that possibly we could talk about as we leave uh the uh, the dakota uh, we have a car taking uh, myself and the, my producer ron to the airport there's no car for john lennon he comes out he was going to a recording studio the record plant and his car hadn't shown up and we've been standing out there. there's only a few people across the uh, across the way 
which I, you know, John just lived in New York like uh, every anybody else. He would walk this. That's one of the things he loved about being there. Uh, very different than Elvis, who was holed up at Graceland and couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Couldn't go out, right. That was not, not, not what John was going to do. So we're standing there, and uh, as, as it turns out, uh, Mark David Chapman uh, was across the street. We didn't know who he was. He was just somebody standing there, and a car shows up, and John goes, well, my car hasn't shown up. Could we get a lift? And Yoko <laughs> said, we get a lift to the, uh, the studio. So we jump in. They, I said, absolutely. We're just headed to the airport. We barely, barely made that flight. But in any case, we took him uh, where he needed to go to the record plant and had a great conversation. That's one of the things I wish we had somehow recorded. You know, in the days of the today in a cell phone, you hit record. You can record right. the whole conversation. I couldn't do it back then. But uh, and we talked about all kinds of, you know, our love for old rock and roll. We were singing Little Richard song, Jerry Lee Lewis uh <laughs> You know, we talked about his relationship with John and I with Paul, rather. So there were a lot of different things that went on in that in that car that was just an amazing an amazing time to be able to to do that and then be able to say goodbye to him. So we head off, we drop them off. Uh, John and Yoko go to the studio. We race to uh, JFK and barely made the flight. We get to uh, the airport in San Francisco, not knowing anything. And here we have this incredible interview. We're so pumped. I mean, it's an amazing day. You spend an afternoon with John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and you're just, you know, you know, walking on air. You right. know, you didn't uh, didn't need any caffeine or right. anything, any other anything else to stimulate stimulate you. So if you go from being as high as possible to getting in my car, turning on the turning on the radio, and hearing uh, our station at the time, KFRC, play Beatles songs which we did not do at that time That time of night. Uh, we weren't playing anything probably mm. older than a, than a couple of years. It was uh, a lot of younger audience. So it was current top 40 music. And here's Beatles songs from like the 60s. So you knew something and was up. Something was, uh, this is really weird. I, I, I'm not sure what the song was, but it was, you know, there were definitely a lot of ballads, emotional kind of songs and, and then I hear the announcement of uh, why they were playing this music, and uh, the mm. fellow on the air was Broadway Bill Lee, who's actually on the air right now, and he makes this uh, he pauses. We're honoring John Lennon, shot tonight, and I, I, I was just as I talk about it now, Steve, it, it still doesn't seem real. It, it's just one of those moments that is frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And you just can't leave someone. And then if you get on a plane a few hours later, uh, get get in your car and find out that they've been shot and killed. It makes no sense. Yeah. And it probably still makes yeah. no sense to you. And the fact that you were the guy with them at the end, even in the car. See, I didn't know you drove them to the the to the to record label. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, yeah. It's yeah. Not, our car was our car was there. It was just a and a lot of questions. I was I did a lot of interviews. Shortly after this uh, Today Show, the next of morning, uh, and one of the questions that uh, they want to know about did, Do, uh, did, did John have some premonition this was going to happen? And we have we have the interview on tape, and on that because he had just turned forty, he's you know we asked that question. Here you are at the stage of stage of life. He goes, No, I just you know here I am. I'm just starting. I'm starting like starting over. I'm just I'm just ready to do all kinds of things. Yeah, plans to possibly tour. I mean, he there was nothing 
nothing at all that he had any thought that this was going to happen. It's mm. just, but that question came up a lot, and then years later, of course, people, you know, ruminating about this, but... Wow. Um, yeah. There was no, 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 that was not happening. So that was the, and then we put together this radio special over the course of, you know, we were going to take our time putting it together. It ended up being a week that we had to uh, get a script, put together a three-hour radio special and aired mm-hmm. all over the world. And we're talking to the great Dave, the Duke Sholin. And I want to get, before we go, tell, him, tell us a little bit about Boomer Music. Boomer Music is uh, something that was started several years back. And I encourage everybody that loves music, we connect. And these are real easy to do. Anybody can sign up. It's free uh, just by going to boomermusicupdate.com. It's all one word, boomermusicupdate.com. And it's targeted to people who you don't necessarily have to be a boomer. We have a lot of people that are not that are way way beyond they're millennials that that love this that love this site but it connects music of today from you know top 40 to country to alternative so we we cover it all and then we connect it to songs from back in the day generally 70s 80s sometimes even the early early 90s that's really cool you're connecting generations through boomer music exactly we have been with the incredible dave the duke sholin been an important and viable uh, member of the music industry uh, obviously since he was a little boy and continues to do so uh, you have been in a Mississippi Minute and I'm Steve Azar bless him. I'm Steve Azar in a Mississippi Minute all 60 of them where you can take your sweet time a Super Talk Mississippi media production